When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Just before you listen to today's episode, this is a quick message to remind you that if you like what you hear, you can help support History Hack, which is run entirely by volunteers using our Patreon account. There are links on all of our episodes. Or if a subscription is not your thing, you can also now drop us a line on Ko-fi, which is just the equivalent of buying us a drink. So if you hear an episode, you like it and you want to chip in just once, then you can do that too. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another instalment of History Hack. I'm here with Zach, who's been scheming. Zach, yes, yes, I have. So we decided to keep you in the dark on this one, boss. Yeah, um, I have no clue what's going. To be fair, there's plenty of podcasts where I've got no idea what's going on, but this more so. Well, you sent me off with a brief, which was go and find something to bash Mel Gibson and Apocalypto with. And I basically ignored that brief, Mm. but stuck with the whole kind of Maya and Apocalypse thing. And folks will remember that a while back we had Matthew Restle on for a brilliant and really enlightening episode on the Aztecs that left myself and Alex, you know, with gobs. Ruined our childhood, basically. (laughs) I mean, at the end of it, I was trying to catch We had about brutal human sacrifices and people ripping each other's still beating hearts out and he told us it was all rubbish pretty much so matthew is back in his capacity as professor of history anthropology and women's studies and director of latin american studies at pennsylvania state university but we're also joined by amara solari professor of art history and anthropology and director of graduate studies in art history at wait for it Pennsylvania State University. They oh, are a husband. The plot thickens. Yeah. The plot thickens. They are a husband and wife duo. So the reason that we brought them together isn't just that they've worked on a number of books connected with the Maya, including the Maya, a very short introduction, and have a forthcoming joint book, The Maya Apocalypse and its Western Roots. So that keeps Alex happy. So I'm off the hook there. <laughs> but Matthew tells me that there are areas where they basically disagree with each other. So what I'm basically trying to set up here is us having the first ever domestic on History Hack live on a recording. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) You really are a sneaky git, aren't you? I'm evil. I'm yeah, evil. Everybody is. just I'm thinks. Fight divorce proceedings or something. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys? Good, good. It's it's nice to be back, uh, Alex and Zach. Thank you for having me back. I'm surprised you had me back. I'm sure that Aztec show is probably what the the lowest rated. Oh my uh, god, it's not done, right. Absolutely, it's the bottom of the no. 
Um, and, you know, I, I feel like I, I misled you about the disagreement. We actually only disagree about who takes the rubbish out um, and who folds the <laughs> you laundry. Say we, that, we, but you we just said you completely agree on everything to do with the Maya. Well, she's shaking Not her true. head. And you also said we pretty much agree about me being right. And she was fiercely shaking her head. So I don't think Amara necessarily, she doesn't even agree with you about how much you agree on. So I think your perceptions <laughs> might be slightly different. Like, like right. most husbands, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's just like a man else, thing, yes. isn't it? That oh, the, men, exactly. the men think that they're, they're in charge and just the reality we just is let that... Them until they exactly. overstep and then we swap them back in their place basically yeah. well, I'm, I'm just going to mansplain I'm, I'll mansplain the Maya for the next hour how's that you actually yeah. call it that mansplain the Maya <laughs> that'll go down so it well it is true he will do that fun fact early in our relationship I had a very nerdy academic question for him about this particular Maya lineage and his response the first words out of his mouth were well you see the Yucatan Peninsula is a limestone shelf that jets into the Caribbean Ocean. And I just thought, I don't think I'm going to go on date number four with this. I know. I think you thought, well, I do have a PhD in this subject. That's as an well. apocryphal story, but it way. is not. It that is, is absolutely you know what we true. should do? Completely made up. We should have a podcast at some point about how how he managed to claw it back so you married him because that that would would, that'd be a long podcast (laughs) like multiple series of that (laughs) (laughs) let's do this is by being publicly humiliated because she repeats that story over and over oh she's done it for you know in when we're giving lectures and there's you know whatever a few hundred people in the room and she'll tell that story (laughs) and then they'll all look at me like what are we allowed to say douchebag on it yeah dick anything yeah there's no rules. Excellent. That's right. I no, there's no rules. Uh, frankly, if we get to the end of a podcast without a knob joke, we start calling ourselves Radio 4. Um, let's get set the con- <laughs> <laughs> let's set the context for our listeners as quickly. Zach's put in his notes as quickly as we can so that you can get to the bit where you fight with each other. Uh, he's such a stirrer. Right. Let's set the context. Who are, is it Maya or Maya? Because um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but who are they? Where are they based? And perhaps most importantly, when were they around? You start with that because where I'm from, any everybody just says Maya. It's no, it's Maya. Yeah. No, it's not. Maya is not a valid English thing. It is sometimes said. I mean, I have heard people say that in England, but it's not. It's Maya. And they're also not Mayans. That's another mistake that you see often in print. The N uh, mm-hmm. on the end, Mayan, only refers to language. Okay, so it's kind so, of, we just say the Maya. The Maya and... Okay. And even if you want to see, say you're talking about uh, pyramids, you can't say Mayan pyramids because the, that adjective only refers to language. Okay. And there, there, are some, um, there are some academics who have a kind of detailed explanations and justifications of that that, that it make you feel as if you're a horrible racist <laughs> neocolonialist if you say Mayan. I, I can't present that argument off the top of my head, but it's, it's a pretty good one. So it's Maya, yes. And who were they? Who were they? Well, okay, so that's before I'm going to get sidetracked straight away and say it should be who are they? And that's really the first, let's just jump straight in the deep end here. That's the first thing that's important about about the Maya is that they're not gone. Uh, I think that's sort of the first thing and in a way it's sort of where you end up with as well. Um, It doesn't matter what conversation we're having, whether we're bashing Mel Gibson's Apocalypto or 
um, getting into kind of the, the nitty gritty details of the books that, that Amara and I have written together. That to my mind is the absolute most important point is the Maya still exist. So the Maya are a, a people, a civilization. And, and in a minute, Amara will argue with the word use of the word civilization. That's where we disagree. Um, it goes back thousands and thousands of years. Um, the area in which they live and have lived for thousands of years is Guatemala, Belize, southern Mexico, including the whole of the Yucatan Peninsula and some parts of Honduras and El Salvador. So I'm so thinking which is a limestone shell. It's a limestone <laughs> yeah, shell. In case you're wondering. Sticks out, in case you're wondering about that. <laughs> Any geographers out there. But just to cement us in time a little bit. So the cultural traits that scholars defined as Maya in quotes, we start to see those about 250. Okay, so he's saying thousands of years and include, yes, we're into the second millennium, but there are people in the quote Maya geographical area before that, mm -hmm. but they don't exhibit the level of, I hate this word too, but I'm going to use it, the level of cultural sophistication that okay. we attribute to the Maya people. So there's a- That's still thousands of years. It is. It's technically, but I'm just trying to, <laughs> trying to give some dates here that oh, might be helpful. Pretty, I know this is a pretty small. <laughs> they are sure, yeah, definitely small. Or, or they got and, the wrong podcast, it's one or the other. And when we say that the Maya are still alive, there are millions of Maya people still alive. I think we're at 27 distinct Mayan languages that are still being spoken. So this is a thriving community scattered throughout these countries that Matthew had just mentioned and people that are involved in their own historical past, researching their historical past, you know, involved in kind of the cultural heritage part of what we would today call sustainability. Can I just, before we move on then, why do you not agree in call, with calling it a civilization? I don't like the word civilization because mm. it implies that other human beings are not civilized. Okay. And so I think it sets up a kind of well, That's not you saying that they weren't civilized. Yeah. It's you saying that it just in general is a bad term. Yeah. And so as soon as you say is there a, they are a civilization, you start to you know, you start to set up this before and after. So the people who lived in the Maya, in what we call the Maya area before 250 weren't civilized. And I don't like that terminology. Okay. I thought you were going to say that you don't like it because it's a Western concept that well, it was applied in the, in the period of European colonialism to, to, to judge whether non-Europeans were civilized or not. That's the historical usage, but that, yeah, I agree with that, yes. I'm just giving you an argument here before <laughs> He's on your side. I mean, it, yeah, that, that I, I think sometimes with certain terms, they have baggage. And it's important to recognize that baggage and understand that civilization is a judgmental term. But it doesn't mean we have to toss it out completely. And I, and I think particularly the reason why I like to use it with Amaya is because too often there is an assumption that they're not, they were sort of a civilization, right? Like anyone who's, anyone who's just seen Apocalypto would say these were people who were barbaric they weren't civilized or they were civilized but it was a kind of satanic messed up fucked up kind of civilization right and so i think because there's that assumption out there that this is a people that were not fully civilized and perhaps because of that they no longer exist right so you're sort of battling against those two misconceptions i think it's really important to kind of say look they were civilized 
they are civilized. They're a civilization just like you are, right? You don't, I understand that there's a judgment, but sometimes it's important to say, okay, if you're going to be judgy, let's just put these people that we're talking about on this side of that judgment line. And so that you, you give up this notion that they were and are in some way inferior to you because of their culture. Now, the one thing that we all know about the Maya is that they were really good at producing calendars and that when the last one ran out in 2012, the whole world came to an end. <laughs> there's, there's something that might be wrong with that. Um, <laughs> in the I'm, film, to be fair to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all seen 2012, right? Yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but you two are the experts. So what's the truth, actually, behind all of that nonsense that you find on the internet about Nostradamus and the apocalypse and how we're not really here? So I think the main thing to understand about Maya and then larger Mesoamerican timekeeping is that for the most part, they believed that time was cyclical. So not linear, although the Maya did maintain a linear calendrical system as well. But rather than seeing end times as the absolute destruction apocalypse of the world, most Mesoamerican civilizations, to use Matthew's term, thought that time, yes, the calendar will turn over, but that time will continually go on in these series of cycles. So there's no, there's no kind of anticipation that the world is going to come to an end, right? It will change, it will shift, but tomorrow will always be reborn. Do you want to talk about the Bakhtun and the, the real nitty gritty of 2012? Uh, I know, I was thinking this was a good, on trend to us like promoting our books <laughs> that but you know that we, she, she's a real academic she just wants to talk about you know the actual stuff itself you just, just want to make money i just yeah. want to sell a few because i mean that that very short introductions book that my book what do we what do we get like 20p each on each yeah book, each like 12 dollars maybe total that's how much it sells for no no, no i meant like total like all the 20p that's Add right. Yeah, yeah. Converted to American dollars so is like twelve much. bucks. We're making so much money yeah. for paying for we ga- live gas in, station coffee. We live in Pennsylvania, so we can go get like a cheesesteak or something. You know, that's about <laughs> it. All right, but in all in all seriousness, so um, we wrote a book in twenty eleven and twenty eleven called Twenty Twelve and the End of the World, which you know didn't it wasn't a bestseller. It, it did okay until the world failed to end. And then you'd be very amused to know that the sales literally just dropped <laughs> through the floor. I think, I think in January, 2013, I think we sold three copies, which was surely someone who'd like left those books sitting in their, in their basket on Amazon or something and forgot about them. I think it was it, like hermits who came down off the mountain. were like, what the <laughs> hell happened? Why did this not work out? <laughs> they really wanted to know. <laughs> so we've, we've now rewritten that book. And so the, new, the book that just came out, we actually haven't seen a physical copy yet, but it did supposedly come out last week called um, The Maya Apocalypse and Its Western Roots. That has been rewritten so it's not tagged just to 2012. And so what it does is it answers a few really crucial questions that some people might have out there. You know, there's someone out there listening who can't sleep at night because they don't know the answer to these questions. And this is the book for them. So first of all, uh, did the Maya predict that the world was going to end in 2012? Absolutely not. There is no evidence that they predicted the world was going to end in 2012 or that they had any kind of uh, preoccupation with the apocalypse or with the world ending at any time. So if you're thinking, what if we just got the dates wrong? 
what if the prediction was right and we're just, it's actually 2021, not 2012, exact right? You've seen those memes. Um, no, they did not predict that. So that's the first question, simple answer. Secondly, well, then why did people think they did? Which I think is a very interesting question. And that's what most of the book is about. It's about why people think they did. And there's a few chapters that um, talk about the roots of apocalyptic thinking in Europe and the Mediterranean going back you know, a couple of thousand years and how those ideas come to Mexico. And then we talk a little bit about the Aztecs and how those ideas then come, come to Maya peoples. Um, but through the introduction of Christianity, right? And then the end of the book, with the, which is the chapter that is most rewritten, which is the one I actually love the most right now, um, is all about why people believe these kinds of things generally. Why is it in the 21st century, in an era in which supposedly science has triumphed over religion, we all think in secular terms and so on, there's evidence that now more than at any point in human history, arguably, people believe things that are weird, uh, it don't make any sense, are not evidence. They read on Reddit, the cesspool of the internet. Uh-huh. Yeah, right, right, exactly. That I, I mean, actually, talking to talking about uh, people in, in Britain, they did some polls recently on whether you thought the world was going to end in your lifetime, and extraordinarily high percentages of people all over the world think that. And then um, of those people, who what do you think was going to be the cause of the end of the world or what was the apocalypse going to look like? The British chose zombies more than any other people in the world. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I've already got zombies, a plan for it. I don't, think, I don't think they're having a laugh, right? No. I think they've, they've watched The Walking Dead and, and Black Summer and, think, and shows like that. And they, and they think, well, here we are in a pandemic. The next virus is just going to turn people into zombies. It's not that. I mean, it makes no sense, but it kind of does make sense, right? Seeing as we're down this rabbit hole, why, just in general, why is society obsessed with the apocalypse and the end of everything we know? Because it's always been a thing, hasn't it? Everyone always thinks like they're living in the end times or humanity is about to completely do itself in, and it is an obsession. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really what, that's what this book is really about. I mean, if I, I hate to do that that sort of, you know, guest on a podcast thing, say, well, Alex. If you buy the book. The only sexual question is to read my book <laughs> and make notes and then get back to me. There'll be a quiz. But that really is, that really is the idea of the book. Because at the end of the book, someone goes, okay, I get it. People are a bit nuts. But they also will understand it in a more sophisticated way than that. And it, and it, it is to do with a cultural tradition mm-hmm. that is in our civilization and has been for thousands of years. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of one of the bumper sticker sort of arguments here, right? Is that people want to talk about the Maya and their calendars and their predictions for the end of the world. It's like, no, 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 they didn't have that obsession. We do. Mm-hmm. And we are so obsessed with it that we, we tend to apply it, you know, to other, other civilizations. And now we live in a world where we have so much information that we can't possibly process. We can't possibly understand all this. I mean, do you understand 5G technology? No, no. I, un- I understand that I had the vaccine and I'm going to start talking Russian, right? That's exactly right. I mean, that, that and, and every year that goes by, there's something else that happens that makes this a pertinent topic. And I think not, not just the pandemic, but the, you know, the anti-vaxxer movement is a, that's something to try to understand, right? Like, what is that about? And, I, and that happened a little, you know, our book just came out. We didn't just write it yesterday, right? Mm. Obviously, it was sort of written last year. And so if I was 
finishing that chapter right now, I would do my best to kind of in a succinct way deal with engage that yeah yeah as as not just like being rude about anti-vaxxers right because that's not the point the point is to understand that actually anti-vaccine mentality is is deeply rooted in our in our civilization and people had the same reaction to vaccines when they were first invented in the 18th century right we i mean we kind of know that now but we probably your listeners probably do you did you did a podcast on that didn't you yeah i think so Alex is looking oh. completely nonplussed. You know, he asked me now, has this person been on? I'm like, dude, we're getting towards 550 episodes now. You can't expect me to keep them all in my head. Um, That's so, should we give the Maya people some more credit than just apocalypse crap then? Absolutely. Okay, so let's kind of set the streaming internet hysteria folks to one side. The culture of these people is interesting, and I, I mean the Maya, not the internet loons. They, <laughs> the whole other podcast. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> they had pretty, I mean, I've always kind of thought this. The ability in terms of carving stone in particular is just staggering. I was looking at some of the work that you've done and some of the articles you've produced and just the beauty of some of the really small pieces of jewellery and so on that they've got are just incredible in terms of the intricacy of the carvings. And you've got obviously those much bigger building projects that they're engaged with. And this is a society that's genuinely complex. So we're not going to fall into that kind of barbarism trap that was the focus of our discussions with Matthew last time. Before we start talking about their art though, give us a flavour of how Maya society worked and their values culturally. Okay, so it kind of depends what moment of Maya history we're talking about. I can talk about the classic period, which is um, the period of their history that I think most listeners are probably familiar with. Think gigantic, you know, sexy pyramids in the jungle that have supposedly been hidden for centuries, blah, blah, blah. Um, Though that at that moment, and then I'm talking about between 250 and 1000, let's say, Maya society was essentially divided into dozens of what we would call kingdoms for lack of a better term, but they weren't really kingdoms like we would think of them for like, you know, Europe, medieval Europe, but instead each kingdom, again in quotes, was led by a particular lineage group. And that lineage group had diplomatic relationships and economic relationships, tribute relationships with cities and towns and villages outside of the, what we would call the capital city, okay? And so between these lineage groups, there were, again, dozens of them, all very powerful, there was fighting that happened, wars broke out, um, usually over arable land for, for various reasons people were fighting they have in all over the world and for all of human history. Um, but as you were alluded to before, Zach, it was a highly stratified society, right? So you had this ruling elite at the top, that was basically um, ruled by a, a person we would call the Ahau. Uh, I guess a good translation would, people say king sometimes, but again, that's kind of problematic. And then there was a whole bunch of lesser elites, what we call nobles, and these people all controlled a kind of state religion. Then there are various uh, other kind of classes of people going downward from that. And at the very, very bottom, there's this massive, massive group of farmers. 
because all of those beautiful artworks you see in the architectural sophistication is only really possible if you have a society that is so stratified that you can have full-time specialists that don't have to worry about procuring their own food, right? And so all they are doing is creating those, becoming professionals as we would, full-time specialist professionals. So architects, stonemasons, artists, um, religious specialists, astronomers, probably poets. My life in this particular moment at the most elite levels was akin to European court life. There was a Maya court, right? And so all of that kind of pomp and circumstance and art being used as kind of these beauteous objects that proclaimed a ruler's power and authority, both in the political sphere, but also in the religious sphere and also in the economic sphere, all these things kind of tied together. I, I like the word king as applied, applied to the Maya. <laughs> I think it works really well. I don't, I honestly don't understand the, I mean, it's an English word and it has kind of conveys uh, all kinds of assumptions, but most of them actually work with the Maya. They kind I just like, we have the indigenous term, so why not use the indigenous term? Yeah, I know, I know, but you can't, but if, I mean, if we just use indigenous terms, you know, on a podcast or in That's a lecture. That's why we define it. Right, they define fine. it. I just don't want them to think about, you know, they get things this like, like grizzly Willie. white guy wearing a crown and holding a scepter, you know, because there was like nuances of political and power systems in play. Women, for example, example, played a pretty prominent role in the Maya court in some cases, at some moments in history. We have queens in England. I know, but okay, I teach in central Pennsylvania. When you say king, who do they think of? Actually, they can't even uh, name an actual. I don't, I don't know. King. I mean, in, but yeah. they think of this very, very Eurocentric kind of political yeah. system. And I want to just get students yeah, away that's a from good, that. All right, fine. Are you, you know, you, you just like, admitted defeat. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm pretty sure he just admitted defeat yeah. on that one. I know. <laughs> it does Zach, happen. Yeah, Zach has uh, slightly got obsessed with the idea of Maya Stonecraft. Is this, uh, he's talking about, uh, how good it is. Is it like the Inca examples where they could have been done by laser and you can't even get no. the piece of paper in? It's the, the energy is totally different between the Inca okay. and the Maya situation. The Inca situation, they are very much interested in stoneworking as a building medium. So yep. walls, right? And you get that perfect precision. Mm -hmm. With the Maya, 
the interest is in representation. So representation of deities, representation of usually of rulers. And I think it's really important that in the Maya example or the Mesoamerican example, it's a stone on stone based technology. So they are carving those stones with harder stones, which to my mind is just remarkable. In the Inca situation, they are better at metallurgy. And so they do have metal tools, not they have like some kind of filers and it's not huge metal tools, but there's a difference in terms of technology between the two groups. But yeah, the Maya example, I mean, how the heck do you do that with, with stone tools? It's amazing. I've been studying this literally my entire life and I'm still amazed every time I walk into a Maya site that that was possible in 500. Yeah, I think the Inca were like precision engineers mm -hmm. and the Maya yeah. were incredibly accomplished artists. Yeah. And all the Inca it, were too. I, would, I wouldn't say that they weren't. Yeah, I'm just thinking of the in... <laughs> I'm just thinking of in Cusco, that wall where literally the stones are so perfectly matched that you can't even get a sheet of A4 paper in between. Exactly. Yeah. Like at Sacsayhuaman or even mm -hmm. like the streets of Cusco. Yeah, it's it, the Inca have a very different relationship to stone than the Maya do. Like this, the Inca have a kind of metaphysical relationship where they consider particular stones like genealogically related to them. The Maya don't have that same what we call an art history of relationship to materiality. So for them, it's more about what is represented in the final artwork as opposed to that level of engineering precision that the Inca yeah. have. So it's they, kind of a different- They're much more functional instead of- They're much more functional. And the other difference is that for the Inca, they're a huge empire. And so yeah. they develop stoneworking really as a kind of stamp of empire. And so when you think of Inca stoneworking, you have to kind of think of it as you do like Roman aqueducts, right? Wherever you see an aqueduct that speaks to a kind of physical, physical imperial presence. Yeah. For the Inca, that's the case. For the Maya, we don't have an empire. You'll see all the time, you know, the Mayan empire, blah, blah, blah. There was never <laughs> any political- <laughs> That whole sentence is wrong apart yeah. from the- Yeah. Yeah, we love that. That's great. That's an opening for us. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was never an Hold empire. My always, <laughs> always politically fractured. And in fact, I mean, Matthew knows way more about this than I do, but they oh, don't. Did I know. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad this is recorded. The Maya don't even consider themselves a cohesive ethnic group until the 20th, 20th century. Late 20th century. It's only scholars who consider this group culturally cohesive. Yeah, the Pan Maya movement arises, evolves in the 20th century in Guatemala and in the face of persecution by national governments of the Maya. I mean, it's a whole other kind of story to their civilization. For that, you have to go to our, our Maya, very short introductions book, but um, the, the massive amounts of uh, of persecution that they've faced in the 19th and 20th century. But let's not get into that right now unless you want to come back to that. But Alex, I thought it was interesting you said, oh, you can go to Cusco and see those Inca stones. I think that's part of the problem of, of, of why the Maya are misunderstood because if you go to Maya sites now, go to the, the ones that tourists can easily access like Tikal um, in Guatemala or Chichen Itza in Yucatan, you cannot really see evidence of their artistic accomplishments because what's left are 
stone buildings that have tumbled down and then been sort of put back together. But, but those buildings would have been covered in stucco and, yeah. then, and then painted. And so there, there's all this elaborate artwork and color and text, right? Because to, to, to my mind, one of the most amazing things about the Maya, and I think just this alone justifies why we should be interested in the Maya and, you know, sort of share this enthusiasm and interest with children and so on, is their writing system absolutely gorgeous this is this is a writing system that does what us does just as efficiently it communicates conveys any kind of information you could possibly want to convey but it does it in a way that is aesthetically artistically splendid varied i mean just astonishing the maya word with at least the yucatec maya word for a, an artist or a painter is the same as the word for a, a scribe or a writer you know we differentiate between those two things Atzib. Atzib, it's the same thing. If you are an Atzib, that means you are somebody who paints or writes because that's how artistic writing was. And, and those texts were visible all over Maya cities. I mean, we have. Just, I've Googled it while you're talking and it's incredible. No, don't Google things while we're talking because then you'll you'll <laughs> all the things we're you'll saying be, that are wrong. Like our students That's when we're it. in the middle of a lecture in class, like that. I just saw on Wikipedia, it actually says this. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a no devices policy on on history hack. But I think what Matthew's saying is absolutely right. The vision you get when you go into a classic Maya site today, you're in post-classic, you're looking at the skeleton of a city. You know, you're not every pyramid covered in this like fondant of plaster. And then in most cases, some cases painted bright red. Like that's a completely different visual experience than kind of the romanticized ruins, right, that you're yeah. supposed to interact with today. And as Matthew was saying as well, mural painting on, the, on some of those plastered services, painted writing, right, there's a glyphs. If you think of Maya, um, glyphic writing is much like uh, ancient Chinese calligraphy, right, where there were particular artists who were known for their handwriting styles and they were coveted by these rulers of each city. And then also glyphs carved in stone, right, and probably... Um, emphasize using polychrome multicolored paints so this is the thing as well like Egyptian tombs were all painted uh, Greek statues were painted everything and- was painted not painted as boring right yeah. Every, I mean, ancient people <laughs> not finished like otherwise. We, we like brightly colored vivacious spaces yeah. well you don't like build that. a house and then leave it blank do you and they didn't either no exactly exactly and so you know and we're and we're finding more and more that these traditions that are developed in the early classic period, so around you know 250, they go all the way through the Spanish colonial period. And so there's this, this kind of level of cultural longevity um, that speaks to survivability in the face of conquest, right? So cultural heritage going through thousands of years during all of this like violent turmoil, disease, you know, military conquests, forced conversion to Catholicism. But ultimately there's this kind of root culture that remains not intact, right? It, it changes, but it's there. And it speaks to the strength of this cultural group. I, I'm not sure we do like things to be all brightly. Well, ancient people's tend. I mean, look at our house. Yes, we do. But yeah, but yeah, but who decorated the house? (laughs) 
let's not get into arguing about that. Um, I mean, we can, but we all know if a man doesn't get prompted, all the okay. say magnolia or white, and there's no imagination. We know oh, Nelson's column. He's not painted. He That's would've... boring. The no, Maya, the when, Maya was, when, was that, when was that erected? Uh, after the Battle of. Focus. Okay, 1805. So that is erected at the height of a European obsession with neoclassical yep. aesthetics, right. which they misinterpreted as go. being white yeah. and yeah. plain. Right, right. Okay, that's, that, so that's, that's actually a more sophisticated that's your version. your people getting right. it wrong. That's the point I was trying to make, but I didn't, Sorry, have, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the information. That's perfect. Okay, so... Thank you. So if in they other, hadn't gotten it wrong, but the, and if there wasn't this European obsession with classical artwork as white, which is totally racist, by the way, okay. it wouldn't have looked like that. Okay, so what I'm saying Can is... Can I just that, say, that, I, I the, was very tempted to kind of wade in on the whole Nelson Column thing, but was just waiting for Amara to turn around <laughs> and educate Matt. <laughs> he, I'm an art historian, yeah, she's right? An art historian. And he's she knows a historian, so... Oftentimes, the, the times when we usually fight about these things is when he oversteps what I consider to be a very strict disciplinary line. Right. <laughs> she doesn't know about the Battle of Trafalgar. Exactly. I is. kind of vaguely do, but right. I, my knowledge kind of... It was of, at sea, by the way. Uh, yeah, I do know that she, part. Oh, okay. She knows a bit. Yeah. Um, my knowledge for, for most things stops at about 1700. That's it. There's so, a few things have happened since then. I, I, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. apparently. No, I, I think that I'm, the serious point I'm trying to make is that if your sense of what a public monument looks like is Nelson's column, and now we know, thanks to Professor Solari here, why it's like that, mm-hmm. um, and then you go visit Maya ruins, that makes sense to you. It's like, okay, you know, it, it, what it does is it closes off the possibility that you might say, but they're not, where's the paint? Mm-hmm. Where's the stucco? You're not going to ask that question, right? Yeah, we just assume that the ancient past was somehow leached of color. Mm-hmm. The same thing, people think that the Maya weren't fun, like, or all ancient peoples weren't funny. Like there's like, ancient peoples are devoid of humor somehow. And any of us who work in Maya communities today know Maya peoples are hilarious. Mm -hmm. I mean, in Maya language, like everything can be a sexual pun, like literally everything. They're like taking a piss constantly with everybody in their, in their villages. Mm-hmm. And yet as scholars and as a public, we, we tend to think it goes, maybe goes back to like the 2012 obsessions that these ancient peoples were like so serious and always cutting into the world and were so religious day. and it's bullshit. I mean, it's bullshit. The Maya peoples were people just like us. And there's a lot of humor in, the, in their art in their too. Art, yeah. Uh, which you know was not apparent at first when Western scholars were trying to understand, you know, interpret this art. Um, and the initial, it, it, you know, assumptions made were like, oh, these these particularly funny um, sculptures and figures and so on. This is um, bad things happening, right? These are people who are being tortured, or there's certain kinds of evil gods, and they were going in that direction without thinking, well, maybe it's just supposed to be funny. Maybe these are jokes or references to jokes or, f- or references to funny stories and, and so on. And, you know, as Amara says, if, if you spend time in, in Maya communities today, they have this incredibly well-developed, sophisticated mm-hmm. sense of humor, which for outsiders, you tri- you're, you're tripping up all the time, mm-hmm. right? Because I'd be like, just take a Maya guy and put him in a, in a pub in London, right? First of all, everyone's making jokes all the time, right? 
And secondly, it's it's hard to explain the jokes and what the what the humor is and where it comes from because it's it's kind of I don't know I guess I'm kind of implying that London pub culture has a sophisticated sense of humor. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. You might have a comment about that. Well, it does. Dog jokes are your thing. That's evidence on this podcast, which is largely Londoners making noise. So, <laughs> you want to go do the down the pub session with us because that's basically what it is for three hours. Next time we're there, <laughs> we'll do that one. Maya have lots of jokes. Oh yeah, and school. I feel they would be perfect down the pub with us, Alex. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Maya and Amara and, and Matthew Maya would love rhyming slang. Mm. The ancient Maya would have loved rhyming. Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah, they would have loved yes. that. That was like right up a Maya alley. They would have immediately understood the concept, right? And then they would have started like coming up with mm-hmm. with ones that made sense to their own kind of material culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, that you know, I think that kind of going back to the question that now I can't remember who asked. It, I think it was Zach. It was this sort of really big, complicated question of the kind you know, that you sometimes get in the classroom, you're like, um, it's like seven minutes left. Um, I'm good at those. Really irritating yeah. questions that are stupidly broad and vague. Yeah. Do Brilliant. that all day. No, no, brilliantly, I wouldn't say so. But I, going back to that question, I thought you're, the challenge of answering a question like that is, is paradoxically to make the Maya relatable and understandable to us um, and sort of to de-exoticize them right but at the same time also not to make them out to be just kind of mundane and boring I mean we you know we've been talking a lot about their art and their humor and all of those and all of those kinds of things and how um they did things that were in some in, you know in many ways uh similar to the way we do things but also there are some things that they did really differently and that's kind of part of what is intriguing and interesting to us um and so I, I think that's that's kind of the challenge and where something like you know, I think you want us to talk about Apocalypto, or maybe you were just saying that as a joke, but something like that movie. Um, I, to, I'm not going to give Mel Gibson any credit because I'll get into huge trouble, but I think he was in a way trying to do that. He just did it all wrong. Right? And, I, and I would say there is a, in Apocalypto, the parts that I have my biggest peeves with are with anything that happens in the city, right? Because this, the movie kind of cuts between events in the city and events in village life. Right. And I think he totally misinterprets the relationship between those two places. And I think he does an awful job of representing what life was like in one of these major classic period cities. But I did appreciate how village life was represented as being family based, collegial. They're joking. I mean, he filmed the entire movie in Yucatec Mayan like that alone so that students can hear that language, which is still spoken by a million people today. That was remarkable to do. So I thought as a kind of artistic choice, that was wonderful. The city parts, I've had colleagues actually, was it 
I forget who it was, it was a Hereto Aldana, Tracy Ardrin, wrote a rebuttal to Apocalypto when it first came out and called those scenes a hate crime against the Maya because they were so egregious in how they presented the Maya as bloodthirsty, violent, all these same kind of barbarous themes that Matthew covered in the last podcast. The sacrifice scene, for example, right? You just get this sense that Maya society at the most elite level is just people taking drugs, going into trances, and then capturing other people from the villages, painting them blue, and then hacking them to pieces, which is not what's happening at all in the city centers, right? Those, as I was explaining before, those are like city centers that are the uh, kind of the epitome of the highest architectural and artistic feats. Are human sacrifices happening? Occasionally. I don't want to say that they never happened. They did happen. There's, I mean, historically, there's no way you can, right? I, I, I think yeah, so. No, I mean, I, I, there that, are some scholars who say they didn't happen ever, but I think no. most of us agree nowadays that they're happening on very prescribed ritual occasions and certainly not in the tens of thousands or the dozens that that movie portrays as having had happened. Just see your colleague punching their keyboard. It'll be like uh, when I did my Bridgerton rebuttal. Just like, and another thing, and another thing that was shit. Uh, yeah. I think it's a common thing, though, when Mel Gibson brings out a movie that he claims is historical, because we've got colleagues at Southampton who, when Passion of the Christ came out, I was just gonna absolutely mention- lost their shit and, and wrote a... Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, we've had a Braveheart rebuttal on here, haven't we? About the fact that there were no kilts, no long swords, no face makeup, and pretty much it, the fact that it was set in Scotland was the only accurate thing there was. It was <laughs> well, the accent, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so visually, there's a lot of um, homogenization that goes on between Aztec visual culture and Maya visual culture, and then that very last scene. Do you know when Jaguar Paw, the main protagonist, gets free and he makes his way to the coast, and then he looks out on the ocean do you remember what he sees off of the ocean he sees three spanish ships with the cross of santiago on their sails and so historically what's happened there is mel gibson conflated i mean the the pyramid scenes if we're going to give them a historical moment they date to the late classic so we'll say 750 okay and obviously the spaniards don't make it to yucatan until well you Yucatan's like the the twenty. They start in the eleven, like fifteen eleven. I think is the first one, and then again shipwreck, yeah, shipwreck, yeah, but not three ships coming in, you know. Um, so conflation of time and conflation of kind of cultural groups. To- and and worst of all, the idea where you walk out the movie theater thinking, oh, thank oh, God, thank, thank God, God for the- Christianity. Yeah, thank yeah. God, <laughs> you're- you're- Saved Thank all. God, Christian Europeans showed up to save them from their from their barbarism, and then everything's going to be okay. You know, that, and that, that guy's but I, sort of being saved. I honestly think that was the whole point of the movie. I mean, Mel Gibson, we know. Oh, if the entire point of Gallipoli was to make England look bad, the entire point of Hang on, the Patriot was to make England look bad. The entire point of Brave was to make yeah. I don't know why he suddenly left England alone and went for the mire instead. Yeah, he's yeah. always got an axe to grind, hasn't he? There's, there's You'd always think there a... would be an Englishman who would get shipwrecks on the coast of Yucatan and would teach them. Give the them all smallpox. Yeah. When yeah. he ripped <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Jason Isaacs washes <laughs> up on a shipwreck. 
yeah, with a mean, typical quintessential British bad guy gives them all like I don't know some classic period COVID and kills everyone. We have a pit- I think we have a pitch here. We should all fly to LA. Listen, we listen to he will Alex. give us millions of dollars to make this happen. Um, should we end on then? Because obviously that's that's not what happened in the year seven hundred odd. Three Spanish ships didn't show up and save everyone. So the Maya aren't gone, but what accounts for the decline? That's a, another one of these huge questions. Yeah. So I'll just say a combination of factors kind okay. of coalesce in the ninth century to make the that hierarchical society, particularly down in the southern area of the Maya area, the world, not sustainable, just becomes unsustainable. Those factors are, we can just rattle them off together. There are environmental factors. So basically the land is being pushed beyond its own capabilities to provide uh, food for increasingly large populations. The elite class has become very, very, very top heavy. Um, The Maya, just like all other Mesoamericans, were a polygamous society. Um, If you can afford, this is probably how most men think today, if you can afford extra wives, why not have them? So at the elite kind of level of society. Absolutely. That's why I'm trying to make more money with these books. (laughs) That's it. Have a Bedouin (laughs) still with it, up to four, I think. But only if you can afford it, if you can only afford one. Very expensive to maintain more than one wife. Yeah. Um, So all of these things are coming together that I think in the long run make people, I'm really simplifying this, but make people at the kind of bottom end of society, the farmers really start to doubt the centralized authority of that ruling elite. And so slowly over the course of about two centuries, those big sites in what we call the Southern lowlands become depopulated. It's not overnight. There's not a collapse that you hear about, right? It's very slow, but at the exact same moment, we start to see huge cities in the North come into their own. So cities like Chichen Itza, which a lot of people are familiar with because if they go to Cancun, sometimes they will go to see Chichen Itza. <laughs> Day trip when you, with the hangover, I think. Hangover, and usually right, right? I've seen like a lot of people in bikinis and getting horrible sunburns there, yeah. So Chichen Itza is coming into power right when the Maya are supposedly disappearing into the forests, right? So our whole narrative of what happens to Maya civilization, there you go, Matthew. Um, she gets, I, she see, she falls eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our whole narrative, a popular narrative that is, is problematic and doesn't kind of align with historical reality. Yeah, it, it, the, the idea that um, the Maya, Maya civilization collapsed or the Maya declined or, or whatever, I, I think all of those terms are all wrong. This simply is is not what happened. It's that there were certain cities and certain areas and and, and were depopulated. In some cases, there was a a war between city-states and a city-state gets overrun and destroyed. And so the the collapse happens in a a year. In other cases, it's 100 years. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the Maya area as a whole, there's no collapse or decline at all. It's simply a movement of, of people and political centers and trade routes and so on. And, and that when um, the, the concept of the collapse was first uh, became popular, it was because 
uh, Mayanists, archaeologists and other scholars kind of didn't understand enough about the, um, the chronological sequences of the rise and fall of city-states in the Maya area. And, and, but it's a great idea, right? Like, oh, the Maya. And then also, you know, climate change. So th there's evidence that there was droughts, that there was, you know, deforestation, overworking of, of, of uh, agricultural areas and so on. So that seems to be a, a great moral right, that, that people have picked up on that. Um, books that, uh, you know, sell very well, like, like you know, Jared Diamond's Collapse, like, oh, no, look, this is a moral lesson for us. Look what happened to the Maya. And, and that's what Apocalypto was. That, I think that was the goal of Apocalypto. You're supposed to leave that film thinking, oh, look what happens when you have this overly sumptuous culture. It's a very Christianizing message, right? Yeah. And, and the then at the end, you know, the Christians come and the idea, as we were saying earlier, is that they're going to change the society so that it's not dependent upon this, I don't know, this kind of like hyperbolic level of consumption. Yeah, and the, the reality is the opposite. And that's why it's so insidious. Because what, where do the Maya really, if they're going to decline, when, and, when do they decline and how do they decline? Not then. It's not the end of the classic period. It's when Europeans come and introduce diseases from the old world and the Maya population literally is decimated and, and we don't know the numbers for sure but um conservatively 70 percent but that's a conservative more. No, like conservative yes it may be as possible as as 90 percent and then so here are kingdoms that are collapsing becoming depopulated um and then some of them then get um conquered and colonized by by the spanish and so there's an enormous violence that is done not just to the to the population but also to the culture Right? So they no longer can build pyramids and temples and so on. They have to convert to Christianity. And on top of those pyramids, the, you know, the Spaniards have them build churches and so on. Now, uh, it's not all about what the Spaniards are making the Maya do. It's, it's the story of conquest and colonization. The Maya is very complex and local Maya elites um, often kind of collaborate in, in the colonial scheme in order to preserve their own positions of local power and, and so on. So I, it, it's easy to, to simplify, but... Um, what all of that does is then reinforce this idea that not only was this, you know, not really kind of a civilization, they were kind of barbarians that needed to be saved, but that they had kind of gone into decline or collapsed or disappeared anyway, right? And so therefore it kind of doesn't, doesn't matter what happens. And that's, that, that then is sort of doing violence to Maya civilization in the 21st century. Maya's are still there, they're still here. Um, there are as many of them now as there were before that demographic collapse, right? So their population has recovered. Yes, it's recovered partly as a result of mixing with people of European and African descent, but nonetheless, they're as, they're as present as, as they ever have been and more so um, than in many periods in the past. And their civilization has had to adapt, their cultures had to adapt uh, as a result of the intrusion of the modern world, but it's the modern world, the early modern world, European colonialism and the modern world that has really caused those changes to take place, right? And so I think that the kind of the decline collapse idea is, a, is sort of doubly wrong. <laughs> it's wrong because it doesn't happen a thousand years ago. And then it's wrong because it's a misdirect from what happens when peoples from the, from the old world get there. You need to, do you know how you need to explain it to your students? It's that light bulb moment. It's the, it's not that from Jurassic Park, which is what I remember because it's my childhood, it, that dinosaurs didn't go away, they turned into birds. <laughs> mind blown they're still here 
I think there is a certain I mean, I irony. Well, I don't. I, I would. Say, I, I'm. I don't think Matthew meant to imply that the Uh-oh. that the colonial period was a moment of collapse. No. Well, for the Maya culture, because I would say, while there were forced cultural changes, mm-hmm. that the Mayas were extremely, extremely savvy. And there was kind of a redirection or rechanneling of Maya interests in a kind of clothing of Catholicism. So for but example- adapt and survive, isn't it? We totally, completely, I mean, that's why they're still around. So within a generation of the Spaniards being in where we work in Yucatan, you see the same lineage heads, right? Or their children directing resources into building village churches that would have been put into building the pyramids in the pre-contact period. And you start to see a level of kind of community pride in what we read as Catholic architecture. And they're building them in the same place. Sometimes literally right right on top of the pyramid. Sometimes they have the pyramid and they take the pyramid down maybe two thirds and they use the finished stones from the top of the pyramid to build the church or they deconstruct a pyramid and then build the church right next to it. See, I think, do you not think that that is that in a way just a little bit of something it's it's not positive but it means that colonialism despite its best endeavors didn't quite manage to fuck everything up that yeah yeah I, like... to- I totally agree and i actually think on the level of the maya community it's a giant fuck you to the spaniards yeah yay for the like, maya because it look i mean these the buildings that are built in the colonial period the artworks that the maya are producing they look european Right. And so somebody who's not really understanding the cultural nuances are going to understand those structures and understand those paintings of Jesus, of Mary, of whoever, as, you know, physical evidence of colonization and physical evidence of kind of a colonial imperial power, which I guess technically they are. But you have to understand and you have to really dig into what the Maya impressions of these objects are. And once you start to do that, like if you go into a Maya village today, which are still, you know, attending mass in the same church that their ancestors built in the 16th century, they're not looking at that thing like a stamp of their colonial past. They're not thinking of that, that building as oppressive. That's their community center. That's where they get married. That's where they raise their children and baptize their children. I'm not saying that colonization, in particular those early moments, was an awesome thing. I'm not trying to say Christianity is better than, you know, the, the polytheistic religions of the past. I'm just saying it's more complicated. Than, and they built that church. They built that church. And their church. ancestors have been in, in enjoying religious rituals in that exact spot, in that, not just on the village, but in the, on the same side of the same village square. For thousands of years, there's the thousands of years. And sometimes, in some cases, they are taking Catholic rituals and reformulating them as Maya rituals. And I'm not saying they're doing this kind of hidden from Francis Friar's eyes or whatnot, but 
there is a way in which the, the culture that's created post-contact, post in the colonial period, is its own remarkably sophisticated and impressive third culture. Yeah. Right? A third culture that is not Spanish, because Mexican Catholicism does not look anything like Italian Catholicism or Spanish Catholicism is its own thing. It's its own thing because it has all of these influences from the indigenous peoples who helped produce it. And so many years on, it's that's their history too. That's yeah. their history. And I, I think when we, when we as scholars treat the pre-contact period as its own entity and the Europeans show up and then it's the colonial period, I think that does violence to the, to the Maya community as well. Because if you're taking that, that stance, you're not admitting or acknowledging the level of implication and participation that the indigenous active participation that the, that the indigenous population had in making their own society mm. post-contact. I mean, suddenly their entire identity, their entire history is based upon when the Spaniards showed up. Like, that just seems like an insane way to define somebody, somebody else's history. It's not, our, it's not our history, you know, we're just trying to elucidate it. There's also a certain irony, isn't there? We've been talking about the apocalypse at various points through this, and there's sort of this desire for an apocalyptic end to the Maya that just isn't there. Um, this there. has been so so good you two an incredible double act this was better than i ever anticipated amara <laughs> thank, you Matt, having us. thank you ever so much this is if this doesn't break download records i'm going to be disappointed <laughs> <laughs> well it's a pleasure you you two are uh, hilarious and always make it fun and i'm i don't know i'm gonna have to find out what your best rated podcasters and go and do a lot of research on this so I can come back and <laughs> talk about that subject. Bridgerton. No, Bridgerton. You will never, unfortunately, you will never beat the cast reunion for Band of Brothers. It's insane. We had 25 of them, some of them talking for the first time in 20 years. Wow. I've had to edit in my life. Uh, but wow. yeah, the, but I think, I think... Eleni Yanagar talking about medieval dildos in her first appearance, uh, women in medieval Q&A on women, where she inevitably, because she's a sex historian, started talking about her dildos again. Not her medieval dildos, but her research topic of. Unsurprisingly, that is the most downloaded non-famous person one we have. Wow. So that's that's wonderful. Yeah. So dildo, so that's what you're telling me. That's the key thing. We know our audience. I mean, the Maya had an incredibly well-developed phallic culture. They put carved stone knobs, knobs, not doorknobs, on no, buildings. Yeah, seriously, there's a whole. There's some. There's some scholars who, you know, there's an entire dissertation on that yeah. on Maya knobs. That I would love in to public see. architecture. <laughs> Just say, I'm just saying, just saying, just think if you want to connect, you know. But I think what you're essentially saying to our listeners is listen to me because I can bring the knobs too. Yeah, there's, there's, yes. <laughs> Excellent. And on that moment, on that point, thank you for having us. Thank you.
When our guests join us to talk about their work and their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 